to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Elijah Vo. And Eli began his journey in real estate in 2013 with single family rentals in Fort Worth, Texas. And his drive to scale his business and his family's wealth catalyzed his transition into multifamily real estate, where he's now part of the Atlas team and where they have invested in over 800 units to date. And to help others build wealth and grow professionally, Eli has also co-authored a book with other high achievers, and which also became an Amazon bestseller. So Eli, thank you so much for being on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's very exciting. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited to learn about your story and how you got started with real estate. So let's start off with a little bit more about your background and how you discovered the world of real estate and creating financial freedom for yourself. Sure. So I'm a veteran. I retired after 21 years. I spent about seven years in the army as a paratrooper. And I got out, went to school for about two years. And I joined the Air Force where I finished my degree in business. Um, And I worked in the Air Force for about 14 years in the IT sector. And about... 15 years in, I kind of realized that I need more income coming in to replace my income when I, when I go to like, retire. So my wife and I, we decided to, we're both pretty passionate about real estate. And so we decided to form our, our own company. We started buying up these little small family rental homes and we did pretty good. You know, got to a couple of them, but then we had a conversation. We're like, Hey, uh, at this pace, we don't really have the kind of income we need coming in to replace whenever I go to retire. So we had to find a way to scale quicker. And so I remember driving around town one day, which is Fort Worth. That's where I live now. I remember driving around town one day and I saw an apartment complex. And I was like, man, who, who buys those things? Like that'd be, that'd be way more efficient to own a hundred plus units under like one roof than, than own 40, 50, 60 houses spread across town. So we started kind of networking and learning how, who buys them, how they're structured and how they work. And I ended up joining a mentorship group in about 2018, where like that first year, so like that, the mentorship group is where I really learned how to acquire these things. And so that first year, I bought about two deals, about 360 units in Atlanta, Georgia. And then 2019, 2020 or so, I met my two partners and then we formed the Atlas Multifamily Group. And now we own three, we own 815 doors across three states, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Kansas. And we're actually under contract now on our first deal in Texas. So we'll be at over a thousand doors once we close, right? (laughs) Knock on wood. Once we close like the summertime. Awesome. No, fantastic. Well, first of all, thank you so much for your service. And absolutely. also, I kind of wanted to ask a little bit because when you're in the military and you were in the Air Force in the IT sector, it's a secure job. You're making decent money working in those fields there. Why did you decide or what made you come to the realization that you needed to find some additional supplemental income to cover your current income for retirement? Like, why didn't you feel that your current wages plus the retirement plans that they have in place with the companies that you're working with, like, why weren't those sufficient? And why did you seek other forms of investment opportunities to supplement? Well, it's kind of funny because most of the people that I served with for many, many years, we were all under like the same 
thought process of like, hey, we're going to turn it out here in the government for 20, 30 years, even if we hate it. We're just going to hammer down and work this job. And then we'll retire one day happily on the beach, right? Like that's kind of what everyone everyone does. Or like you retire, but, you know, quote unquote, retire, but like you'll just turn around and you'll get another federal job. As a consultant or something. As a consultant or whatever, doing like the same thing, right? And then you work that for another 20 years. And then like you're, so like after when you're like 50 or 60, you essentially like you have like two retirements, right? That's the thought process of a lot of government workers, a lot of military workers. Well, when I joined the Air Force, shortly after I came in, I met a good friend of mine, we're still friends to this day, who was very, very well versed and educated on business and investing and wealth generation and all that. So we talked every day about that kind of stuff, about mindset, about what wealth was, how we grow businesses for like a year or two. And so I think it was like that shift in my mindset after talking with him for so like every day for so many years about how the dollar works and economics and all that kind of good stuff. That's what kind of got me shifted from that. Okay, well, I need to stop working a job that I don't necessarily meaningful to me and then shift more things that that, that I really love and that I'm passionate about. So that's kind of what got me on that road initially. So my mindset shift, you know, slowly over time changed over to where I was like, okay, well, I love the idea of owning a business and real estate and putting the onus of my family's well to do on my own shoulders. Right. So that's kind of what got me shifted. So after you purchased a couple of single family homes for rentals as investments, and then you discovered actual people, regular people, just like yourself and myself, we can own and purchase these large multifamily deals. And you thought the scalability was there for you and what you were trying to achieve in terms of your financial freedom and your financial journey. And so from there, what made you decide to join a mentorship program? And kind of what were the steps and what did you discover along that journey before you bought your first multifamily? You know, I don't tell everyone to join a membership group, but like because of where I was in my life, like I only had a set period of time. So I had like, I think around like five years before I retired. So I was like, okay, well, I need to expedite my timeline essentially. And so I met the owner of the membership group. His name is Mark Kenny. He's with Think Multifamily. I met him before he even launched the group. And we were talking one day. And back then, it was my goal to buy like, like 20 units. And it was like over like a 10-year period, I think it was. And so we were talking and he asked me a question. He said, well, Eli, why buy 20? You could buy 200. And I was like, well, I don't know how to do that, Mark. <laughs> so, so he said, well, you know, I'll go ahead and teach you, right? So I kind of helped him devise his, like, like the whole platform for the group that he has now. But now, of course, it's, it's evolved and grown way bigger than what we had initially done. But I was kind of like his guinea pig. So he would send me materials and videos and documents that I would review for him. And then he trained me on how to acquire, how to raise money and how to underwrite deals. And then that was like in 2017, 2018 was whenever I came back from the desert. I was working with him like that entire time. I came back from my deployment and then he launched the group. And that's like the first one in it. So that's kind of how... I made like that transaction or transition. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. It's so interesting how when people come together and they discover the different strengths that other people have, and they're able to partner together to be able to create something incredible and something big based off of the relationships that has evolved over time. It's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of realized like in order to speed up, I kind of had to find like an easy button. Right. And so he had the, the, the experience, the knowledge, the network, the capital, the liquidity, and all that. 
And uh, I was deployed at the time. So I would wake up about three or four in the morning and I'd jump on the phone with him, which is, you know, at night over here. And he'd kind of mentor me and teach me. And then I'd go do my duties. Then I'd get off of work. And then it'd be, I'd jump back on the phone with him again until like midnight or so, which is daytime here. And so we did that for about six months until I came back. So for six months while you were deployed, you were essentially working two different jobs and finding time in between all your different quote unquote free time to be able to do something else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, essentially. Yeah. And then even when I was in the military, even when I came back and we had our house business and then we started going to multifamily. So I worked two jobs essentially for several years while we built the company. So while you're building that side up and you're also building up your education and your knowledge foundation as well to be able to do that 200 unit deal or potential 200 unit deal, walk us through the steps that you took to get your first multifamily unit under contract. Yeah. So I met a guy, uh, his name is Brent and think met him like right off that. And so I was hosting a meetup for Mark and Tamil back then. I think we met at that meetup. But anyway, we kind of partnered up. We said, okay, hey, we're going to give each other a year. And we're going to be looking for deals and hunting down these deals. We'll take a year to fund our first deal. And I remember about five months into it, I mean, we were up at four in the morning before work. And we were collaborating, underwriting, hunting down deals. And then we do it over lunchtime. And then we come home from our work and work from five or six in the afternoon until midnight at some points. So we did that for about four or five months. I remember calling up like one day and I was like, okay, Brent, this is crazy, man. We've underwritten like a hundred deals. Uh, we're getting any kind of traction. Man, I can't keep doing this. And you know, he goes, goes, hey, Eli, I get it. I'm burned out too, but we give ourselves a year. So let's keep hammering it out. And then at the end of this year, if we don't have anything, then we'll go ahead and call it quits. And shortly after that, about a month after that, we got our first deal. It was 110 units in Atlanta. Wow. So... When you're working two full-time jobs, you also have a family as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the burnout is real because it's a lot of work yeah. and a lot of stress. <laughs> and when you're not seeing the traction and you're not seeing those results, you're not getting those deals that you're underwriting every single day and you're not seeing that. How did you look at multifamily and how did you see that that was a pathway to your financial freedom to be able to achieve what you're looking to achieve? And what continued to drive you even in those difficult times where you weren't seeing those that traction? Right. So I think a big part was my mindset was shifted, right? So I was like, okay, I'm not the kind of guy anymore who's going to be consistent, you know, and work in a job where I can retire or whatever and just sit on the beach all day. Like that's not me anymore, right? So it was my passion to grow business and a business in real estate. That's one of the things that can be going. Another thing that can be going was my leadership was horrible. Like they were negative, condescending. And so every day that I would talk with them, I would get so upset and so frustrated. So that kept that fire going. Like, okay, I will never put myself in a position where I give someone else that ability to talk down to me anymore. Like that won't be, that's the old Eli. I'm not going to put up with that. I'm going to push and do whatever it takes to where I'm in a position of power and not one of vulnerability. Right. So that was. Probably number two right there. Number three was, it was stressful. I had the business, my work duties and my family and anything else left over was like my hobby time, right? Or any kind of free time or leisure time. So it probably took me two or three years of pure struggle and stress to kind of figure out a lot of it was self-induced stress. And so I kind of realized like what I expect 
when I asked for this, like my boss didn't ask me to be a bad employee. My wife and kids didn't ask me to be a distant father or husband. My business partners didn't ask for me to be stressed out and, and struggling. So I had to just kind of suck it up and say, okay, no, this is what I asked for. So I need to learn techniques or stress mitigation or whatever and do whatever it takes to make this work. And so I think those things kind of combined are what really kept me going for the last several years until I retired and then made like the full transition into here. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. When you went and got your first 110 units deal under contract, where did that deal end up coming from? And what were some of the challenges that you had to face as you were getting that deal closed, the financing on it, the partnerships, getting the team in place, all of that? Walk us through that first deal if you can for a little bit. So it came from a broker. I know some people that typically you can find these deals like one of two ways, either through broker relationships or you can kind of go do all the cold calling and mail out cards. And I know guys who do both, like who do it both ways and they do, they do it that way very well. My personality is more of one where I would rather form a friendship with a broker or 10 of them, right? Cause I have 10 brokers, not all going to like you and you won't like all 10 of those either. Right. So that's where our first deal kind of came from and it helped. So at this level, you kind of have to partner, right? So I tell people all the time that, well, depending on what your goals are and your mentality, you don't have to join a mentorship or you don't have to partner, but then you can't grow as big or as fast. So in this case, if you want more control and you don't want to share the profits or whatever, then you should probably start small. That way you can like control more of the deal and of all the cash flow and all that yourself. In my mind, I was like, okay, well, I'd rather partner with people who've got the net worth and liquidity that I don't have right now, right? So short term, I don't have it. But if I partner with them, we can do more volume over time. And then long term, I won't need as much, right? I, for me, there's always a point where you're going to always need people because even if you have millions of dollars, it's probably being moved around like in this little shell game we do, right? So like it really helped out for us to have partners who had like the all those connections and net worth and all that. So we can, they could help us sign a loan. They can help us raise capital. They could help us do other functions that we needed. How did those other deals after you closed that first one come into, how did you guys acquire all of those other deals afterwards? And then at what point did you decide that, was it after the first 110 units that you realized that you had achieved your financial freedom number? Or was it after you'd done a couple of deals afterwards that you've achieved that goal? And how did that look like for no, you? Yeah. And so no, we weren't rich after our first deal. We weren't. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't cashing in those million dollar checks. <laughs> Man, I thought for sure it would just take like one deal and it didn't. Right. So I ended up after the first deal that kind of got me. So I went on social media, started posting, you know, like how great I was or whatever. And 
I think that helped me kind of get some notoriety because then I met two other syndicators and Ben and Ferris, who I co-GP'd with on another deal with them right after that one. So that was my two deals in Atlanta. So that's it was 110 doors and then another 212 right after that. And then shortly after that one, I kind of went out on my own and was looking during like 2019 or so. Just kind of a dry spell. Didn't really have much success after that. And then at the end of that year, I met my two partners and we were kind of all looking in the same regions. And I said, okay, well, we're all looking in Arkansas and Oklahoma-ish like markets. I got these resources. You got these resources. We kind of have a good chemistry together. Let's partner up and see if we can have like a good partnership here and then buy bulk. And that kind of got us on like the right projection. And then we ended up closing our 800 plus doors in like those three states. When you decided to join as a partnership with the other two people in your group, how did that come about? And how long was the courting process as you were deciding whether or not you wanted to join up as partners to begin with? And then how did you guys communicate and structure what each person's roles and responsibilities are going to look like within this partnership? So we were buying up properties for about two years before we actually formed the partnership. And now I guess you could say that that's kind of crazy. Maybe it's not. For us, we wanted to see how well we work together. And like our mentalities and our characters, if we had any kind of problems, and also if our families can work together too. And so our families are pretty close now. And they were back then. But it took us a probably good two years of buying up properties, seeing if we're all about, if we're selfish or if we put the company first or if we put each other first or whatever. And after about two years, we kind of realized like, hey, this is really working out. We jive really well together. And then at the end of last year, the beginning of this year was when we sat down. I said, okay, so this is this is our company. What do you like doing? What do you hate doing? And then what do you two think I'm good at? And then, so that's kind of where we start splitting up. So it took about two years of kind of everyone doing everything. We did asset management. We did acquisitions. We did capital raising. We did a little bit and we did, did marketing. We all kind of shared in the tasks. But then at the end of last year was where we kind of sat down and spelled out, okay, this is what I'm really good at. This is what I like doing. This is what you're good at. This is what you like doing. And everything else is what we're going to hire out. And so now we're kind of at the phase where, like, okay, well, this is what we're going to solely pull ourselves out of the weeds to where we can work on the business so we can scale and grow Atlas. And then everything else we're going to hire out. So at the beginning of this year, we hired on marketing manager. We're great operators. Like we've been buying properties and doing like really well the properties but we're just three dudes who aren't very good at marketing. And so we're not, we're not very good at putting our names out there very well, but we kind of recognize that the people who grow the most, they do both. They pour a ton of energy into operations and they pour a ton of energy into marketing. And so we had to hire out our first marketing director. We built our own GC company. And so we're like, okay, well, a lot of guys who do very well, who grow the most, they have a vertically integrated company, right? So you have like these different companies on like your one brand. So we formed... The GC company. And now we're looking at hiring on an asset managers next, right? And then aside from that, we've hired on like three analysts that kind of help us that we've taught how to underwrite and go find deals for us too. Got it. So can you share how when you were working in the military, in the Air Force, in the corporate job, and making that transition from retirement into full-time real estate? How has getting involved in real estate and focusing on it, how has that impacted your life overall so far? 
Oh, well, it's, it's what I do now full time, right? It's, it's <laughs> what I'm doing now. <laughs> so it's completely transformed, right? If I hadn't done this, then I'd probably still be working a job in the base, right? I'd still be in the military or retired working back as a contractor or something like that. So it's 100% changed my life, the way I approach my career, the way I approach my investments and all that kind of stuff. So that's, I mean, it's, it's changed my lifestyle 100%. And so if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? I'd say two things. Number one is raising capital. I was kind of under the impression, or I've heard it in other podcasts or books that if the deal is good enough, the money just comes in. And that's not true. <laughs> that's not true at all. Because people will not give you a dime if they don't know, like, and trust you, right? So you have to always be out raising capital, unless you already have money yourself that you can fund your own deals then you're fine. But if you don't have the wherewithal to talk to investors and really convey your business plan and your message and your vision, then you're going to struggle. So you have to always be raising capital. And number two is it's not about just buying real estate because then you'll kind of hit a threshold, right? So for me, we got to a couple of deals for Atlas in general. So we got up to 800 doors. Then we realized, okay, well, we need to find a way to expand our company. So we heard, you hear tons about education, about how to acquire apartments and all that stuff. That's really fun and sexy, but you don't hear about the operations or how to actually grow a company. So that's kind of what the phase we're in now, but it's been a rocky road, but it's so beneficial if you understand, hey, you can't always be working the weeds because if you work in the weeds, then you're going to get burned out and frustrated if you don't pull yourself out hire people under you. And then that way you can focus on the high level tasks where you, your company can truly grow. And so that's a perfect segue into the next question about oh. what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? I think the people who are good operators and good marketers, right? And then the ones who know how to grow their company. We talked to probably a dozen people, a dozen syndicators who are probably between, I don't know, five years or more ahead of us. And we said, okay, well, when you were here, what'd you do first? And it all boiled down to they hired on asset management, marketing, and construction. One of those three things, maybe not in that order, but one of those three things. And so for you or for the listeners, at some point in time, unless they're just comfortable with just operating and not really truly scaling and growing, they're going to have to ask themselves, okay, well, based on where we are now, what makes the most sense? Like what job should we hire on first? Right. So then you got to hire on marketing and then pass it off to them. And then you can go do whatever you, you do, whatever one task that only you can do the best. Right. So I think those things probably are what help the, those grow the most, the fastest. Awesome. Well, Elijah, I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your journey with us and how you've been able to get to where you are today. And so for our listeners also who want to learn more about your journey, follow what you're doing in this space, where's the best place that they can go? So you can go to our website, which is uh, investwithamg.com, or you can email me directly at eli at investwithamg.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Eli. Thank you, Aline. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. 
If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.